Lord Jesus, we want to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And we look at our world around us, and there's not always a lot to give us joy. But we know that you are the one who renews all things and that you can bring joy. So we pray that you would open your word to us so that we can know you and follow you and give our lives away in serving you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I was talking with a friend of mine who is a pastor nearby, and they have just installed some play equipment in their church for the Sunday school program. But one of his parishioners keeps complaining about it. And last week she said to him, you don't understand. We can't have play equipment in our church. Otherwise, the kids are going to think that God's house is fun. (laughs) Wouldn't want that, would you? It's kind of an odd thing to say, but I think it captures one of the stereotypes that's out there about being a Christian. That it's boring. That following Christ is supposed to be dull. In fact, an elder this week told me that one of her neighbors once said to her Christians... No, we're not Christians. We're fun. As if those two things were opposed. Now, you hear that a lot. And it's got to be one of the top ten reasons people give for not wanting to be a Christian. That it's going to be dull. That Jesus is some kind of cosmic killjoy just looking for any bit of fun that he can stamp out. And I think that even those of us who take the name Christian feel that way from time to time. Because sometimes, even in the best of faith, our faith life can feel flat or dull. We come to church, we listen to sermons, which of course are never boring. (laughs) We maybe have a midweek Bible study, but sometimes that can become routine and then our faith begins to feel, feel dull. Which is what I find fascinating about the story we just read about Jesus' first miracle, where he turns water into wine. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus performs his first miracle at a wedding. Weddings in New Testament times were week-long celebrations. They were filled with dancing and music and a lot of food. And this is the setting that Jesus chooses for his first miracle. That's not boring. He doesn't do his first miracle in a research library. He doesn't do his first miracle during a trigonometry lesson. He doesn't do his first miracle while someone is showing their slides from their summer vacation. He does it at a wedding, at a party. And more than that, he basically does this miracle just to keep the celebration moving. We serve a Lord who turned water into wine just to keep a party going. Kind of makes you go, huh, doesn't it? (laughs) Now, I want to be clear, before I go any further, I'm not saying that This text indicates that Jesus was some kind of party hound or something like that and that it's okay to abuse alcohol and drink too much. No, it's not. But I do think this story shows that Jesus knew how to have fun, that he celebrated, and that following Jesus far from being boring brings joy. You see this all the way through the Bible, that following God is a celebration. Think of David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, as the ark is coming in, he he takes off his clothes and he dances in front of the ark and his wife says, stop it, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) Think of the book of Revelation where heaven is described as a banquet or where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as being a feast. C.S. Lewis says that the mark of a Christian is not piety, but joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that a little bit challenging because I'm not always the most chipper person in the world. You know, there are those people who are just always happy. 
You know, they wake up with a big smile on their face every morning. Good morning, Lord. You know, with me, it's more like, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) But wherever Jesus is, he brings joy. Now, I know it seems incongruous and almost disrespectful to be talking about joy at a time when we're at war and when people are unemployed, but that's why I want to talk about it. Because I believe that even in the worst of times, Jesus brings life. I met with a couple uh, from our church recently, and they're in their 80s. Many of you will probably know them. And he has been paralyzed for five years. It's completely bedridden. And their lives have been very difficult. But one of the things you notice about them right away is how much joy they have. He has this great sense of humor. At one point, his wife was saying, oh, things are hard, but we can't complain. And he said, well, I can. And then he started joking with me that the upside of the whole thing has been that his, his uh, caregivers are all attractive young women. And it's the first time he's ever been able to get attractive young women to pay attention to him. <laughs> Throughout the whole conversation, his wife kept grabbing his hand and kissing him. I mean, they're acting like newlyweds. They've married 50 years. And they spend their days praying for other people, praying for our church, praying for me. She makes dolls for poor children in Guatemala. And she had this great phrase. She says, I have learned to appreciate the sanctity of the ordinary. I thought it was a great phrase. Now, this is a terrible situation. And they're not being Pollyanna about it. They, They acknowledge that it's hard. But Jesus is there, and so they're finding joy, even in the worst of times. And I think what the, this is what this story tells us, that Jesus can transform anything and bring joy. For starters, Jesus can transform even the most ordinary situations into something extraordinary. Jesus starts with water. He ends up with wine. He starts with something that is flat and bland and ordinary and tasteless, and he transforms it into something that has flavor. Jesus can take our ordinary, routine experiences and turn them into something extraordinary. I have a friend of mine who was sitting in an airport praying, and a woman from Nigeria sat down next to him, and it turned out she was a missionary to Nigeria. And in the course of the conversation, she said, you should come with me to Nigeria. And as soon as she said it, he thought, I should. I should go to Nigeria. Now, normally he's kind of a cautious kind of person, but he kept feeling tugged and I kept telling him, no, 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 no. This is definitely contraindicated. You know, God wouldn't ask you to do something risky, right? But he said, you know, how about teaching a Bible study or something safer? But he kept saying, no, I'm supposed to go to Nigeria. And so he did. And he had the time of his life. He got to meet all these politicians in Nigeria. He got to see hordes of people come to Christ. He was in an airport. How ordinary is that? But Jesus showed up and turned it into something extraordinary. A while back, my wife was having kind of an ordinary conversation with some people who don't go to our church. And then, in the middle of the conversation, they they asked the dreaded question, What does your husband do? (laughs) He's a pastor, and that always kills the conversation, right? Oh, okay. But then they started talking about, you know, the church and everything, and, and, you know, the sermon topics came up, and she said, Yeah, he's, he's preaching a series called Plastic Jesus. And they said, wow, you guys are on the radical fringe. (laughs) Good to know. We're on the radical fringe. Just thought you want to know that. An ordinary conversation becomes interesting when Jesus enters into the picture. 
Jesus can transform our offices, our neighborhoods, our homes, our lives, our routines into something extraordinary that brings joy. The other thing Jesus can transform is church, religion, from something that's routine to something that's filled with joy. The the pots of water that Jesus uses in this story were meant to be used for ritual purification as, as part of a routine religious practice. But Jesus turns that routine religious practice into a celebration. Now, you know that one of the stereotypes about church is that it's boring, right? Kids say it's boring. Adults say it's boring. I've heard pastors say it's boring. No one on this staff, no. But it should never be boring. That's one of the things I love about our worship services here. They're filled with joy, as they should be. We have this amazing relationship with Christ. That, that brings joy. That's amazing good news. And whenever Jesus enters the picture, even the most routine aspects of our faith come to life. I have a friend who was sitting in church one day, and her mind was wandering. Again, I'm sure that never happens here. Her mind was wandering, and, and as it was wandering, this thought popped into her head, and she stood up in the middle of the service and went outside to a homeless man who was panhandling in front of the church. And she said to him, you know, since most of your customers have gone inside, why don't you come in and sit with me until the service is over? And so he did. And she said it was the best service of her entire life, not because of the music or because of the sermon, but because she'd seen God kind of use her, kind of prompt her to do something unique. And suddenly an ordinary church service was transformed into this extraordinary thing because Jesus showed up and prompted her to reach out. Some of you have heard of a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. It was a church that for years was dying. The pastor tells a story about one day giving a sermon to about only about 20 or so people, and, and he was sort of, they were sort of nodding off. And as he was winding up to a climax, one of the parishioners shifted in the pew as he fell asleep. And at that point, the pew cracked, and everyone fell on the floor. <laughs> he said it was the most interesting thing that had ever happened in that church. Shortly after that, though, they they began having prayer meetings every week. And they turned their church over to Jesus. And then they began to reach out to the neighborhood around them. And pretty soon, all kinds of diverse people started showing up. Everything from crack addicts to Wall Street executives sitting together in the same church. And now it is one of the largest congregations in America. Because Jesus took control of their church. Now think, if he can do that with a dying 20-person church, think what he can do with such a vibrant, dynamic, alive congregation as ours as we continue to follow. And we're going to have so much more joy than we have even now. It's going to be great. Because where Jesus is, even the most routine aspects of our faith come to life. Finally, the last thing that Jesus can transform is us. From the inside out, he can transform us. The water in these pots were meant to clean people on the outside as part of a religious ceremony. But the wine, on the other hand, was meant for the inside. It's something we take inside of us and and it provides nourishment of a sort. And so much of religion is about cleaning up the outside of a person. So much religion is about preparing a face to meet the faces that we meet, but leaves the inside unchanged. That's boring. But Jesus transforms us from the inside out, makes us completely new people, and that brings joy. Jesus can transform our ordinary experiences. He can transform our faith and our church. He can transform us 
into something that brings joy. And there's only one thing we have to do. Only one thing that we have to do to have access to this joy. And it's what Mary says to the servants in verse 5. Do whatever he tells you to do. Obey. That's how you get the joy. In the context of the story, Mary's comment is actually kind of almost humorous. I mean, she's been sort of being passive-aggressive through this whole thing. You know, Jesus, they're out of wine, hint, hint. You know, and then Jesus says this sort of cryptic comment, woman, my hour has not yet come, whatever that means. And then Mary has this great response, oh, do whatever he tells you to do. Which I think is this wonderful statement of faith. Where Mary says, even though I don't understand, I know he's going to do something good with this. I know he's going to bring joy. So do whatever he tells you to do. The only way we're going to access joy is if we obey him. Do whatever he tells us to do, even if we don't understand. Even if there's a war. Even if there's a recession. It's like the couple I visited last week. He's paralyzed. I'm sure they don't understand that. But they're doing what God tells them to do, and out of that, they're finding joy. The only way we can have access to joy is if we obey his commands. If the servants hadn't obeyed, they would have missed the miracle. If my friend hadn't listened to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to go to Nigeria, he'd have missed that blessing. If the Brooklyn Tabernacle hadn't obeyed God's call to reach out to the neighborhood around them, they'd still have only 20 people. And if we don't obey God's call in our life to give our time and our money and our talent away, to serve Him, to reach out to others, to spend time with Him in prayer and Scripture, we're never going to know the joy that He has to bring. But when we do whatever He tells us to do, Jesus takes our ordinary lives and turns them into something extraordinary. A couple years ago, I was working with a college student who was not experiencing the joy of Jesus at all. His faith was completely flat. So he decided to obey God on just one command, feed the hungry. He was a shy, kind of quiet student, but he and I got together a few other students, and we went down to the, the worst street in San Francisco late at night to hand out sandwiches to the homeless. And toward the end of the evening, we were, we were walking back to the car, and I had all the other students with me, but I couldn't find him. And I thought, oh, great, I've lost a student. You know, think of the liability issues. Finally, I found him sort of down at the end of the corner, and he was, he was standing on this, the street corner with a group of homeless men, and, and they were cussing and drinking and smoking and all that, the homeless men, not the students. And, and, and he was there, this shy, quiet student, talking with them. And then I don't know how it happened, but suddenly they all started singing these old Motown songs. You know, up on the roof, my girl, that kind of a thing. And, and this shy, quiet student, he'd sing out a line. He'd go, I got sunshine on a cloudy day. And then the homeless men would echo, cloudy day, kind of like Gladys Knight and the Pips. You know, it was weird, but it was cool. They sang every Motown song they could think of. And when, we're, when they were done, one of the homeless men looked at us and he said, what are you guys doing on this street at this time of night. And the student looked at me and said, well, we're from a church. And we're here because we figured Jesus wanted us to sing with y'all. And the homeless man said, what a great church. That's cool. And as we were driving back, the student who is normally quiet and shy and never talks could not stop talking because he was so excited. That's the kind of thing that Jesus does. 
when we obey. He takes a faith that has grown dull and he energizes it. He takes a, a student who is shy and quiet and gives him a song to sing with a bunch of homeless men. Turns him into Diana Ross and the Supremes. He takes the mean, ugly streets of San Francisco and he brings joy. We live in a culture where a lot of people are looking for a thrill and where jobs feel routine and friends feel routine and, and life feels routine. And in the middle of that, a lot of people are looking for just some kind of happiness. And they turn to a lot of things that don't satisfy. They turn to alcohol and money and toys and you name it. Only Jesus can bring lasting joy. You know, when I read the Bible and look at Jesus, you know, healing people and raising people from the dead and talking to prostitutes and sinners when he should have been making nice with politicians and pastors, a lot of words come to mind. Boring isn't one of them. He brings joy and life wherever he goes. And we are called to be his agents of joy. We are called to bring joy wherever we go because we have him. We are the salt of the earth. We give it flavor. We are the light of the world. We brighten it up. We are the wine of the party. We create a celebration. Where do you feel restless or bored? Jesus wants to give you the ride of your life. Where has your faith grown flat or cold? Jesus wants to put zest back into it. And where in our sorrow-filled world do people need to know the joy that Jesus brings? And how can you bring it to them if only you'll do whatever he tells you to do? As the Christmas hymn says, he comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found in our lives and in the world. I have come, he said, that they may have life and they may, they may have it how? Yeah, abundantly, not in little bits and dabs and dollops, not, not measured out in coffee spoons, not in miserable little Oliver Twist, please, sir, can I have some more proportions? But life pressed down, heaped up, and overflowing the measure, abundant life. The kingdom of God is a banquet, and the invitations have gone out. The question is, have you RSVP'd? Lord Jesus, thank you that where you are, there's joy. Thank you that you bring joy in life wherever you go. And we ask that you would help us bring hope and healing in a sorrow-filled world. Help us to bring your joy as far as the curse is found until the whole world knows that you are Lord. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.